Blog Talk Radio. My name is Anita Marina. I'm an original Okie from Muskogee. And I'm on the journey with Neville D'Angelo. I'm Booker Marina Jr. I'm originally from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm married to the lovely Anita Marina. We've been married for some 40 years now. She is the original Okie from Muskogee. And I'm here on the journey with Neville D'Angelo. I am Neville D'Angelo, and you are on the journey. Welcome back. This is part two of our celebration of African American history and culture. On the journey, we stop at intriguing places to meet fascinating people with novel solutions to life's tricky little problems. We play a few games, too, as we track the phenomenal characters of three classic books, A Sound Bite Life, Flight of the Fused Monkeys, and Illicit, A Time to Begin Again, all of which, of course, you can find on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, available for your smart devices, your iPads, your tablets, your smartphones. Today... We continue our celebration of African-American history in, and culture, and we have with us, of course, Anita Marina and Buka Marina. I can remember being in the bathtub asking my mom to put bleach in the water so that my skin would be lighter and so that I could escape the feelings that I had about not being as beautiful, as acceptable, as lovable. If we're all just hanging around and, and a dark-skinned girl will pass by, we'll be, oh, well, she's pretty for a dark-skinned girl. Or, and I'm like, well, what is that supposed to mean? I used to wish that I can wake up one day lighter or wash my face and think that it will change. I thought it was dirt, and I tried to clean it off, but it wouldn't come off. Just doing something small as standing in front of the class to do show and tell. I wouldn't look up. I wouldn't make eye contact with anyone. I would hold my toy really tight because I knew my toy loved me, even if they didn't. It comes Blackie. Wow. It comes Tar Baby. I remember one in particular they used to say, you stayed in the oven too long. And that, that was really hurtful. They would do it every single day without let up. On the playground, in the classroom, in the cafeteria, just constantly you got it. So I didn't really have a high self-esteem. It was so damaging. It made us feel like we weren't wanted.
in part one of the series, the standing question is, where do we go from here? The standing question today is, what is your plan to get there? Mr. Marina completed his meeting with his pastor, drove to my home and picked me up. We didn't use the freeway. We took the scenic routes through Dallas and Dallas County. A passenger ride can be a welcome ride. I quite enjoyed it. Our sprawling city has many eye-catching views, I noticed. I got the chance to peruse our variety of architecture. I saw many more trees than one would imagine exists if one uses only the highways. We stopped for a bite. Uh, then he took me to his home. Large. Nice community. Anita had taken her dog Jack for a walk. Soon they were back. Broad smile, welcoming hugs, and she was ready to feed me again. But I had already eaten. So here I was, ready to spend these celebratory moments with another successful family I know quite well. Well, my name is Anita Marina, mm -hmm. um, born and raised in a little town called Muskogee, Oklahoma, oh. and um, was raised in the era of segregation. Mm. So that says I'm an old person. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> old is just, of course, a, a word to speak. Mm. But at any rate, um, I was going to speak a little bit about what it is to be a black person uh, now as opposed to uh, being a black person back in the days of segregation mm -hmm. and just kind of walk forward with some of the things that I, um, I experience on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. My position that I hold right now uh, is that of a human resources manager for a major corporation. Mm -hmm. And as I move through the process of working on a day-to-day -day basis, I see a lot um, of the things that we go through and what we went through mm -hmm. back in the 70s mm -hmm. as opposed to what's happening in what century are we in? <laughs> For the first century. The 21st century. Right. Are we still in the 21st century? <laughs> it feels like we're in the 22nd or 23rd. <laughs> But at any rate, so I kind of want to talk a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. And I, as a child, I grew up in the days of, as I said, segregation. And so we went to school in uh, segregated classes, all black people, black mm -hmm. teachers. Mm -hmm. And it was an amazing experience, mm -hmm. an amazing experience from the standpoint that our teachers cared about us. Every aspect of our lives. It didn't matter how poor you were. It didn't matter. And no one had anything. Mm -hmm. You know, we all had about the same thing. There were some people who you thought had a little bit more, but everyone was struggling. Mm -hmm. Everyone was, you know, in the effort of making a better living for themselves. But our teachers genuinely cared about us. They cared that we understood what we were being taught, mm -hmm. uh, and they cared if we learned what we were being taught. They cared if we took the time to put forward our best effort, mm -hmm. and when we didn't put forward our best effort, that went home. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, these days, if uh, there's retribution to a child or if there's disciplinary action to a child, 
kids come up today and say, I'm going to call the police or I'm going to call Department of Human Services. Five-year-old children don't even know how they know what the Department of Human Services is. Mm. Back in those days, you took your licks, you learned from those licks, and some of those licks were kind of hard. <laughs> we used to call my dad the three-second belt man. Oh, boy. You know, so you... <laughs> And, and buckle on the first second, get that belt out of his pants on the second, and third on your hips. Mm, so, mm. you know, I mean, but it didn't bother me. The discipline was something that I learned as a way of growing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not, I, I guess I I guess I could say, in some respects, it could be considered abusive, but I didn't consider it. I considered it a way of, uh, I learned to grow, I learned to develop from mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um and so in those days, I grew up in a household where my studies were uh, critical and important, and it was required that I do the best mm-hmm. that I could do. And and as Booker and I um, married and had children, that was one of the things that we required of our children. Mm-hmm. And I kind of look now, and I don't see that that is the... Uh, requirement that children have these days, but that's another story. So um, growing up in that environment, uh, being a part of the church, because Mm -hmm. we were both um, raised in the church Mm -hmm. from little kid dragged in on each Sunday, Mm -hmm. um, you know, attending Sunday school, attending Baptist training union, attending the regular church service, Mm -hmm. and learning all of the books of the Bible where they were, and uh, caring, learning to care about each other, uh, not only just our family, but our church family mm-hmm. and the people within our community. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, outreach, you talk about outreach, started when we were small. I grew up in a household where my mother uh, did anything that she could for someone. She was a giving person. And as I told you before, mm-hmm. we didn't have a much, mm-hmm. right? We were janitors. My mother was an educator. She taught school. Mm. Um, my dad was a janitor. And uh, we all cleaned up buildings. Mm. And that was really an experience <laughs> growing up. Mm-hmm. But it, it was an humbling experience, but it was also one that eventually led to financial security mm-hmm. and opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as I go through all of the people, that old saying of, it takes a village to raise a child. That's what happened mm-hmm. in our community. Mm-hmm. It, it it wasn't just people at my house. Mm-hmm. It was people next door. It was people across the street. It was people two doors down. It was people three doors up the street. Mm-hmm. Um, if we were playing in the street, one of those mothers came out to say, get out of the street. <laughs> if If we were driving too fast, you know, mm-hmm. as we grew up and, and learned how to drive and were given opportunity to drive a car, mm-hmm. if we were driving too fast down the street by the time we got home, mm-hmm. our parents knew what street we were on and how fast we were going. <laughs> you yeah. know, so small yeah. town, but mm-hmm. Muskogee was a very small town. What, Booker, 70,000? Something, yes, something like About that. About 70,000 mm-hmm. people, so it was a really kind of small country town. Mm-hmm. Sophisticated. Nothing like Tulsa. It was a great experience growing up in the time of segregation when people cared about each other, people had expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you were expected, again, as I said, to do the very best that you could, and when you didn't do that, then, you know, there were 
there were uh, there was repercussions, repercussions for mm. not for not doing that. Mm. And you wanted to do the very best that you could. So, do you think that um, uh, today, how do you compare to what's happening today? What's the I, I look at my grandsons. We have two grandchildren, mm-hmm. um, Drew and Booker. Uh, Drew is 11, and Booker is 5. Mm-hmm. And uh, I look at them, probably because of the way Booker and I were raised. I know when they come here, there are expectations for them. Mm-hmm. But they are given everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, given mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. And so I look at that, and I think they didn't have to work for anything, yeah. no chores. Uh, they finally learned to, I mean, uh, Drew's making his bed and that type of thing. But no chores. I mean, when I was, I told you we were janitors. Right, right. So right. we went to work. Mm-hmm. I was probably five years old. Certainly, my, we would have to sit down because, you know, there were laws about child labor. Mm-hmm. And we would have to sit down if lights came to a building, you know, mm-hmm. for fear that it was people coming to see well, what we were doing. Know. My dad was concerned about that. Because in those days, my dad was bidding against white people for jobs. Mm-hmm. And so from that standpoint, um, they knew that his whole family worked with him. Mm-hmm. So there would be a major fine and the possibility of him losing jobs. Mm-hmm if uh, the authorities were to determine we were working. Mm-hmm. But I can remember at five years old dragging a trash can <laughs> to empty it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. we were required to work all of our lives. Mm-hmm. So I look at my grandsons, and though they are very smart, mm-hmm. does that sound like a grandmother? Yeah, yeah. Well, but they're <laughs> very <laughs> smart. Mm-hmm. They are. They're very smart. Uh, Drew is on the, is it the dean's honor roll or is it the principal's honor roll? Principal's honor roll. Principal's honor roll. All A's, so that means all A's. I want you to know. <laughs> all A's. And, but still, I see that lack of um, discipline mm-hmm. or that lack of commitment um, to do, you know, to stretch, mm-hmm. to really do. It's like, i got to do this. Um, if if I'm baited or if I bait them with this or that, certainly they stretch. But I, I don't think we um, have the same level of expectation for our children now that we had in the as but we were growing up. But in the case of your grandchildren, they're still doing well, or you don't, or you think they're only doing well with their studies. But um, uh, are you recommending that they should? do chores like you did? Well, I I just think that there has to be some sense of uh, responsibility for Mm -hmm. a child. Mm -hmm. I think that there has to be some uh, opportunity for them to earn things rather than to expect. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And so when a child doesn't have a reason to have to earn anything, Mm -hmm. then, you know, they don't have to do anything. They just expect things. Mm -hmm. And I know that we keep saying we're going to pull back, hmm. but we haven't yet. Your grandparents, you yeah. <laughs> I must tell you that they don't look like grandparents, but... Yeah. <laughs> they are, uh, I mean, they're the light in our lives. They yeah. really are good yeah. kids. Um, so far, you know, yeah. so good. And there's also that thing of trying to, because parents have changed. Mm-hmm. So there's that thing of trying to get that balance of, spirituality, and the world. So the Internet is everything today. Uh, games are everything on the day. Nobody goes outside to play. They have bicycles. I bet they don't ride their bicycles twice a month. 
Mm-hmm. So I don't know about you, but I rode my bicycle every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you ride your bicycle every day? Every day. Mm-hmm. Every day. And sometimes I had to use that bicycle to go places. Mm-hmm. You know? No, I didn't. You didn't go anywhere on the bicycle. Plus my grandparents. <laughs> Let's know the truth now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> these, these children are in front of a computer. Mm-hmm. They're in front of a television. Mm-hmm. Uh, playing games. Mm-hmm. Killing people on the computers. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? And there are some educational games that they play as well, but the most that I see is like Black Ops and Black Hawk Down. And so you th- you think this is going to have a negative influence on them, or is having, or? Well, I pray not, but at the same time, you know, some of the things that come out of my little grandson, the five-year-old mm-hmm. is die, you know, <laughs> die, mm-hmm. you know, and of course my son is saying. You're not allowed to say that. And I said, how can he not be allowed to say that when that's what he's doing is killing people? Mm. He's killing people on a day-to-day basis. So I think, you know, then let's mm. evaluate what we are what mm. we put in front of them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there are games. We played last week um, bowling and all those kinds of things. But that's not the focus of their attention. Mm. That's you know, just a little bit of what they do. Does this worry you for their future, or you think they're going to turn out all right anyway? Well, I, I'm going to pray that they're going to turn out all right, and I'm going to pray that the influence that we have is going, and their parents, because their parents are still good influences on them. So I'm going to say that, you know, my son was raised from a standpoint of um, there are expectations, mm-hmm. and um, I think that he is also a person who has required much of, a bit of them as mm-hmm. well. Maybe mm-hmm. not as much as what we did of yeah. them. But I see that he does require some things. I think, uh, again, it's a different era from the way we raised our kids mm-hmm. as to the way kids are being raised now. And you do have a daughter who's a doctor. We have a daughter who's a doctor. All right. No yeah. children yet, no, no, no. but we have a daughter who's a doctor. Okay. She turned out pretty good, too. All right. Okay, yeah. good, yeah. good, good, good. Yeah. Now, um now let, let me touch on a couple of things that you mm-hmm. you said. Uh, you mentioned that uh, you know it, it wasn't it wasn't uh, you know too far away from a whipping if you did anything wrong. If any child at that mm-hmm. time did anything wrong, are you recommending that that should be the, still the case? Well, or? Neville, I have a I have a really nice uh, wooden spoon over there. <laughs> well, I stay away from you. I take the wooden spoon out on that little one. Mm-hmm. He's like, you have to show him kind of. He doesn't want the spoon anymore. Mm-hmm. But he recognizes that when he comes to Beta's house, that's what he calls me, mm-hmm. that there's a certain level of expectation. And when Beta says, I need you to do this or don't do that, mm-hmm. that he has to respect that. Mm-hmm. And what I saw for a while, and the reason that I went to get this spoon is because he wasn't being responsive Mm -hmm. to my uh, directives to him. Simple things like, uh, it's time to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, You need to put that away because maybe it's time to go to bed. Mm -hmm. Simple things like that. Mm -hmm. Or uh, he's a bully as well. Mm -hmm. Five years old, but he can bully his 11-year-old brother. Mm -hmm. Don't bother Drew. Mm -hmm. Simple things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so from that standpoint, we had to 
I had to establish a level of, um, and I couldn't do it just by talking to him for mm-hmm. some reason. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. You know, but my spoon came out. <laughs> my spoon mm-hmm. was the leveler. Mm-hmm. Lever. How do you? You said it right. Leveler. Yes. Mm-hmm. The spoon leveled things out. Mm-hmm. Now all I have to do is walk that way, and he's like, "Oh no, 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 no! <laughs> I'm going to go do that right now." But then also, as he has um, started school, mm-hmm. he's in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. He was a child who was um, at home with his mom mm-hmm. from um, you know birth until five years old. Mm-hmm. And he uh, did not have the opportunity to really intermingle with children. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now that he has gone to school, I think that he understands um, uh, responsibility a little bit more. Mm-hmm. He understands authority mm-hmm. a bit more. And I play with him a lot, but you know, when I when I stand firm, I stand firm. Mm-hmm. But he understands authority a lot more. So I think children um, need to have the exposure of authority, not just of their family, mm-hmm. but of outside um, um, people as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you talk to us as an HR person? Of course, you deal with uh, people who've coming come from college, try to get into the mm-hmm. workforce. What is that like mm-hmm. compared to when you? Uh, back back in the day. <laughs> right back in the day. Interesting enough, last week, Neville, I had an opportunity to uh, participate in mock interviews at a local college in an attempt to assist minority students, actually African-American students, in preparing themselves for um, interviews at corporate in corporate America. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to have to say that I was really, really disappointed mm-hmm. um, in the level of preparedness. Mm. Uh, In some cases, uh, uh, some of the students were very articulate. Mm -hmm. In other cases, uh, I was met with yes, no answers, Mm -hmm. um, and it was a complete, um, I'm trying to even think of the word, uh, it was a a project in itself in just trying to get people to communicate what their thoughts and mm-hmm. ideas were. Mm-hmm. In most of the interviews, all of the students had very, very big dreams, mm-hmm. major dreams as to what they wanted to be. And the sad thing about listening to these students is that they have no earthly idea as to how to get there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's even from a standpoint of from where do you go from college mm-hmm. Example, I plan to be a, uh, a a college coach, but I am majoring in elementary education. <laughs> okay, so elementary education, do they even have basketball teams? <laughs> do they have football teams in elementary school? No, and I do recognize that out in the community there are, you know, little leagues mm-hmm. and that type mm-hmm. of thing. But if I want to be a college football coach, mm-hmm. then I think that I'm going to start, I'm going to be a secondary teacher mm-hmm. where I can at least have an opportunity to coach high school something mm-hmm. or be an assistant coach or something. But there at the secondary level, I'm going to learn what it's all about, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not an athlete. 
Oh. By the way, okay, right. I'm not really an athlete. I play hoops on the street, <laughs> but I'm going to be a college football coach. Mm. And so, when you sit to talk to the students about how we get from point A to point B, that's like, oh, I've never thought about that. Mm. Uh, when I look at corporate America, and I deal with uh, people on a day-to-day basis as Mm -hmm. an HR manager, Mm -hmm. human resources manager. And I see see our employees struggle on a day-to-day basis. Mm -hmm. I see some who are very well-equipped, and I see some, again, who are there because it's a job and I can pay for my car and I can pay for my apartment, Mm -hmm. um, not to speak of the children that I might have that I need to take care of. And I reach back into my my mind to think about how I was raised and mm-hmm. how the people around me guided me to mm-hmm. make, you know, sound decisions. Goes back to that parenting thing that I was talking about earlier mm-hmm. where I'm not sure that we are really focused enough in preparing our children um to um move into life. Mm-hmm. and how to direct them from a career path as, or at least try to help them understand what it is that they want to do when they grow up. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I'm where I want to be when I grow up and I'm this <laughs> yeah. old. You know, but from a standpoint of making a reasonable or having a reasonable plan mm-hmm. for getting there. Um, in corporate America, I look back and I think not much different from what it was when I started working 30 years ago, a little more than that, but not too much different with the exception that there are some nuances that have changed. Um, There certainly are a lot more African-American people in jobs of influence. Mm -hmm. Then I find that there are um, African-American people of influence in roles that don't want to help us. Mm-hmm. do anything, mm-hmm. you know. What do you think about that, Booker? Well, I would say yes, because there are a number, there are a number of, and I say there are a number of blacks, African-Americans, blacks, whichever, that have so-called made it mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. And they've forgotten where they came from. Mm-hmm. And I guess the thing that I, you know, when I'm talking with some of those same people who seem to have gotten out of the reality point Mm -hmm. is that if you look at the back of your hand and you look at the inside of your hand, Mm -hmm. which one are you? (laughs) And then which one, and you know, when I was growing up, we used to say we and they a lot Mm -hmm. in order to keep from saying uh, black and white or colored and white or whichever error you were in at that point. But just kind of think about that because at some point you cross that line Mm -hmm. and it's like in the corporate world there were the the people, the uh, blacks who they were aspiring to go on up the vice presidents, directors and those things. At some point when you were getting on into the corporate office you had to decide am I going to cross this line Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden I've got to Act, eat, sleep, drink, travel, white, mm. rather than 
black because when you were out there, you were in that world. If you did one little thing that said, oh, I like today, you can have dreads or you can have whatever you want to, <laughs> you know, or you can have the afro. Back then, you could, you could have the afros and things. Mm. If you stepped out of line, it was all of a sudden, oh, well, that person's not doing what we want them to do, so we're going to start slowing them down on this fast track. Mm. You slow down on the fast track, you started getting bumped back down, so you were no more than just a regular mm -hmm. black person at that point. Mm -hmm. So uh, all the way up mm -hmm. you are, so why not try to pull somebody along with you? Help the black folks that are trying to make it, mm -hmm. you know, at the same time. Um, then And on the other side of that, there were the blacks who understood, as I'm moving up, I'm going to try to make this track better to bring along other blacks. Or I'm not going to mess this up by doing the things that I know. And and I a lot of people always say, if you couldn't act that way with your mother and father, mm -hmm. then you couldn't act that way over here and still bring people along with you. Mm -hmm. So you didn't do the drugs. You didn't you know mm -hmm. do all these things that um, a lot of people are doing now when they start making the money mm -hmm. and start you know getting the power to do these things mm -hmm. because you have and but you have to look at it and you see on both sides of the line we have people who are doing these things who are moving up and they are able to bring people because they're maintaining a sense of dignity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. it's that self-pride. Right. Because as my uh, pastor used to say, uh, Leroy K. Jordan would always say, the only thing that you really have is your name. Mm -hmm. And if you can't be proud of your name mm -hmm. and maintain that dignity in your name, mm -hmm. then you've lost everything okay. else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what do you think? Do you think... Um, I, I I hear the issue that you've got you've got you've got people who make it, and then they forget where they came from. Mm -hmm. You've got people who make it, and they mess up the route so that others can't um, uh, don't able aren't able to use that same route or use it easily. And you're recommending that as people uh, climb up the ladder, as they make it better and better for themselves, uh, they should be able to help others along. Show, but how do you recommend that they do that? What are some of the things, um, say, um, a successful person should do that would... Well, I'm not going to say I'm a successful person. I think you are. I definitely... <laughs> I'm not going to say I'm a successful person. <laughs> I'll be introducing you as you are. So. I, I think that um, I've been very blessed mm -hmm. um, in that I've... Um, had an opportunity to have good jobs mm -hmm. and haven't had to struggle to find good jobs and have done well mm -hmm. on my jobs. And fortunately, I'm in a position where I see young people mm -hmm. on a day-to-day -day basis. And my mother was one of those bold people. Mm -hmm. You know, she was a bold Christian. Mm -hmm. So she was a person who would tell you if she felt like if she saw that you were going wrong, mm -hmm. she would stop and tell you, oh, we used to cringe a lot. Oh, my God, she's going to get us killed. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm my mother's daughter. And so what I do is, and I'm not silly enough to just approach people that I don't know or to carelessly try to provide advice, but I see things from a performance standpoint. I see things from a behavior mm. standpoint. And Neville, I just think that it's incumbent up on us 
that if we see that a person is having a problem mm-hmm. or if we see that there is an area that we could possibly help a person with, mm-hmm. that we approach that person to say, not everybody wants to be helped. Mm-hmm. Not everybody wants to hear what you have to say. But I believe that it is unco- incumbent upon us mm-hmm. to move that word forward. Mm-hmm. And that's what I do. Mm-hmm. There are some people who feel that, you know, if you're going to give them constructive criticism, that it isn't constructive criticism, that you're trying to do something to them and then they it always they try to come back on you. Mm-hmm. You have to be careful with that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I just feel that it's incumbent to mm-hmm. move a word forward to say, help let me help me to help you. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. How and I've learned to say that. Help me to understand how I can help you mm-hmm. move past this. Help me to understand why you're where you are right now. Mm-hmm. And if if I go in with a help me to understand, mm-hmm. that always seems to move that person into understanding that they are a part of a problem, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. we don't want to assume ownership and responsibility mm-hmm. for the role that we pay, play in the issues that, we're facing right. We're facing right. Mm-hmm. So I just think that it's incumbent upon us to move that forward. Mm-hmm. In, in both of our dealings, Booker and I, in dealing with raising our kids, we kind of did frank talk. Mm-hmm. Um, we were very fo- straightforward with our children, and, and not brutally so. Mm-hmm. But if there was a problem or an issue, we would sit down to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And then it was not just bearing criticism, but it was trying to understand how do, how are we going to get around that? Mm-hmm. Now, did both of them always do things perfectly? Oh, no. And certainly we aren't perfect parents. But what we ended up with, I think, as a family, was the ability to be able to talk to each other about everything. Mm. And we share we still share that now mm. as adults. We're all adults now. Mm-hmm. And we still share that. And I, I would think also that our daughter in law and our son in law feel comfortable in coming to talk with us about things and to ask us mm-hmm. about things our opinions about things. Mm-hmm. Um because they respect that and it's because we've always held that level of openness. Mm-hmm. And what I see now is parents want to be friends Mm -hmm. with their children Mm -hmm. rather than to be parents of their children, Mm -hmm. and that's not a good mix. Mm -hmm. And you agree with her? I agree. um, I find it even, I work with the youth in the church a lot, um, and you can tell the, the children that their parents are actually parenting Mm-hmm. them versus the ones where the parents are friends because you you start talking to them and the ones that where they're actually getting parented mm-hmm. they have a level of respect whether they agree with what you're saying or not they still have a level of respect and mm-hmm. they they know that they can go get their parent come back in and talk about those things mm-hmm. then you have the ones where their parents are friends and they would just as soon get up, walk out, cuss you out, and mm. say, you say, well, 
we'll talk with your parents about this then, and they'll say, and what are they going to do? Mm-hmm. And what do you think, why is it that some parents feel the necessity to be friends? Do you do you have any idea? Why, why are they taking that route? What, what, are, what are they trying to gain um, out of that? I, not that you have to know, but I'm just... <laughs> yeah, when I look, oh, I'm sorry. Ahead, when I look at it, um, I look also at the at how young our parents uh, are. Mm-hmm. Our parents are, some of our parents are very, very young. It's an epidemic. Yeah, we, we do have some issues there. Our parents are young. I don't think that we have the skills mm-hmm. to, um, you know, a lot of us have not developed and understand the role as a parent. Mm-hmm. And um, we've lost a part of our youth mm-hmm. because we were so young, mm-hmm. you know, when we brought these babies. Mm-hmm. into the world and uh, so it's fun mm-hmm. you know it's fun to get out there it's fun to go party it's fun to go drink it's you know fun to go uh, do whatever it is that young people do mm-hmm. these days mm-hmm. and so I want to be a part of that and when I was let's say growing up I mean my mother went to the prom with me mm-hmm. um, Neville with both me and my sister <laughs> 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 my mother showed up at every dance that there was <laughs> But you didn't do that to your kids, though, did you? Yes, oh. I went. You okay, so you did go. Okay. Well, it no. wasn't. It wasn't that we would go to every day, every dance, or everything. But you know what that did? Mm-hmm. What what it does? Is, you know, right now it's like so. So so I could have been that person to say, "I'll never do that. Mm-hmm. I'll never. I'll never." You know. Uh, show up where my kids are and mm-hmm. you know I want them to have the freedom to do this or that well we also have to understand the maturity or the level of our kids and how we've taught them to know do they know the right things to do mm-hmm. do they know how to make the right decision mm-hmm. um, can we trust that they're mm-hmm. equipped to make the right decisions? Mm-hmm. probably not because we haven't trained them mm-hmm. to make the right decision mm-hmm. so you know it's a thing of getting up in the morning um, and, you know, do I need to, do you have everything that you need to go to school with? Mm-hmm. Do you have everything that you need to uh, get through the the day? Mm-hmm. Those are things that we have to start to teach our kids early mm-hmm. in life. Um, all right, so here you are, you have five things in front of you, and you have to do X number of things today, mm-hmm. which of these things is going to help you to uh, complete those tasks that you have to do today? Mm-hmm. Those are the kinds of things that we kind of have to teach our kids. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that Booker, in our uh, relationship, you know, we've been married 40 years, mm-hmm. and Booker worked with IBM and you know would travel a lot, and oh my gosh, I would be left with the kids. And he's a very nurturing person. Mm-hmm. I'm not. <laughs> and you know, I'm not a morning person, and he was a morning person. And he relocated once with us six months. He was gone six months ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And I was left with the kids. <laughs> and sometimes the kids would get up in the morning saying, I need this, especially money. <laughs> There were no ATMs at that time. Where am I going to find money? Or, oh, I needed to do this project. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I wasn't one of those people who could just like 
turn on a dime to do that. Mm -hmm. So they learned very well that they had to be prepared. (laughs) (laughs) But but it was probably one of the best lessons Mm -hmm. that they could learn because they had to uh, they had to plan Mm -hmm. for what they needed Mm -hmm. and they had to make sure that they alerted me before Mm-hmm. They had to have it because I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. All of them, both of them, both of them are now, you know, equipped. And I can see Trey doing that with the kids uh, from a standpoint of with the guys. Uh, well, what do you need for this? Mm-hmm. What do you have to have for this? And I, both times my kids have gone to school, both of them have gone to school without what they needed because they waited to the last minute to ask me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. But I, you, you just you asked me this ten minutes before we walk out the door. Mm-hmm. None of that is here. <laughs> <laughs> School of hard knocks. Huh? All right. Well, oh. I mean, it's a lesson. Mm-hmm. So I think that you know, from a standpoint of being friends, because that's where we were. Right, right. Being friends is that we're young. You know, parents are young these days. Um, you know they've lost a part of their childhood as well, mm-hmm. and um, maybe they came from families where their parents were very strict mm-hmm. and didn't like that and decided that you know they do not only that but uh society has changed you know we grew up in black neighborhoods we're integrated we've mm-hmm. got all kinds of cultures around us mm-hmm. um we've got cultures where the parents sleep with the, I mean, the kids sleep with the parents, what, until they're, oh, 12, 13 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got cultures where, of course, there's no discipline. Mm-hmm. Um, we have cultures, and maybe it's not cultures or maybe it's just lifestyles of people, mm-hmm. that, you know, they allow their kids to come and go. We've got people who um, don't, who don't, uh, who let their kids go home by themselves, give them a key at six years old mm-hmm. uh, to go mm-hmm. home and go into the house by themselves and stay there until they come home from work. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I you know, just think about it. So go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, there's just so many different things mm-hmm. and so many different cultures that now, as African American people, that we're exposed to. Uh, and now we look at what our parents did and said, "God, you know, mm-hmm. I want to be like that. Mm-hmm. I, I want to be the house where my kids, where all the kids come to, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's fun mm-hmm. to be that. So I'm going to sit around and I'm going to give them a beer. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't mind them having a beer and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know? So you think that the mixture of cultures or mixture of lifestyle is not enriching? You think that it's it is making us go backwards? Or? No, I think it's enriching, Neville. I just think that some, uh, in some respects as parents that we haven't made good decisions hmm. as hmm. to how we uh, allow that, you know, the differences um, hmm. from household to household, from culture to culture, how it affects how we deal in our house. Hmm. Neville, I don't know if you ever experienced segregation or not, no. but it, 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 it was not fun 
not being able to go through those glass doors at the movie theater to sit down on the floor, but rather going through a side door and going up to, you know, the balcony where it was dirty, or going outside in the, you know, alley to use the restroom rather than being able to go in the Mm -hmm. doors Mm -hmm. to, you know, use a toilet or drink in fountains, Booker, you know, Mm. I most certainly would not advocate. Or being in a school that Mm. doesn't have appropriate books Mm. or enough books or books so old (laughs) that, you know, the learning is 10 years behind. Mm. You know, Mm. so no, I definitely would not advocate segregation. But what I do think that we need to get back to is the thought of, you know, it takes a village to raise a child, mm. to have the values and the integrity system mm. that we had before, mm. um, to not feel like we can't do the type of work that isn't glamorous, mm. like like owning your own janitorial service, which is what my dad did. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to do that anymore. Do you see any black people doing that anymore? You see Asians, you see Hispanic people. Mm-hmm. They're all, they're the ones who have all the contracts. Mm-hmm. Good money, honest job, mm-hmm. but we'll go and stand on a street and sell drugs mm-hmm. or hustle women, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. it's big money, it's fast money. Mm-hmm. So I just think I advocate from a standpoint of going back to the family values mm-hmm. that were so um, built into the African American culture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. What did you want to talk about? Well, I think, you know, just starting back from my um, being in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and by the way, Tulsa, Oklahoma was probably the site, or was the site early on in 1921 of the the worst race riot in the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, There were, and it was probably the most unpublicized, most hidden race riot Mm -hmm. ever. Mm. But it was it was caused for the destruction of what was known then as the the Black Wall Street of America. Mm. Um, the blacks in Tulsa in the Greenwood area mm. had their own businesses, uh, pharmacies, doctors, hospital. You mm. had our own hospital, mm. our own movie houses. Um, Financial institutions, everything was right there. Mm-hmm. Lawyers and everything, mortuaries, mm-hmm. funeral homes, we call them, were all available right there in the black community. All was destroyed in a matter of hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the with the black community, uh, the North Tulsa area was the black community at that point in time, mm-hmm. and uh, the blacks were scattered throughout Oklahoma. Mm-hmm forming what's now known as uh, these the black cities. There were little black cities or black communities mm-hmm. that blossomed uh, from that where people ran and fled Tulsa mm-hmm. going out to those areas mm-hmm. and reestablishing themselves mm-hmm. in, uh, in various places. Uh, there were a number of deaths, a number of hangings, mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of the facts and everything were hidden for an extremely long time, even though people knew that these things had happened, they were hidden for an extremely long time. Mm. Um, now, the racism that I grew up under, mm-hmm. let's say things like at the train station, mm-hmm. the Union train station, there were 
colored water fountains mm -hmm. and white water fountains, colored restrooms and white restrooms. Mm -hmm. Now, as those things were changed, mm -hmm. it was not, I call it a whitewashing because it didn't really go away. Mm -hmm. It was, they put signs up over that. Mm -hmm. They put placards up over those those signs that were engraved in granite mm -hmm. uh, there in the walls. They put placards over them. So you could go back and pull those placards down. Mm -hmm. um, that same thing here in Dallas. Placards were taken down and they found color still mm -hmm. written on the wall. So they went back and took the whole things down mm -hmm. at some point. Um, so you had you had the the all of those things that we were growing up in. Uh, where you couldn't eat at certain restaurants, we were we were boycotting, or there was picketing of mm -hmm. restaurants and department stores mm -hmm. where you couldn't pull up to one of the, like you probably seen on television, where you couldn't eat at various eating bars or eating establishments, mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. Well, that same thing happened right there in mm -hmm. Tulsa. Yeah. Uh, I didn't experience a lot of it because we didn't go to those places just because we knew. What I did experience once, though, was my mother taking my three sisters and I to a dentist's office. Mm -hmm. And because of the name, they felt like, oh, yeah, we can make that appointment. They made the appointment for us to go in to get the dental work done, or mm -hmm. surgery work that was actually needed. Mm -hmm. Went in, walked through the front door, and the nurse immediately had the doctor come out and Told, told us that, you know, we couldn't wait there in the same room where the, the white families were waiting. Mm. Um, and, and that's because your name was Marina. Yes. So they didn't they know... They assumed that yeah. we were not a black family. I mean, right. Yeah, mm -hmm. so we were, we were immediately ushered out the back. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, the doctor did go ahead. He did the procedures and everything, but he didn't do them there at his office. He did them at the black hospital in fact. Mm. Yes. coming down to Texas, and as we went through Mineola, Texas, sign up here, it said the blackest dirt and the whitest people run, nigga, run. Really? And if you let the sun set on you in those what they call sundown cities mm -hmm. or sundown towns, you were subject to be hung or beat to death mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, that's how it was. Right here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, there are areas that were known as sundown areas. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I've never heard the term sundown, so mm -hmm. it's... it's yep. um, sundown cities existed across the U.S. There were, in uh, the state of Oklahoma, there were probably um, somewhere around 70-something. In the state of Illinois, there were 256. Mm -hmm. um, I used to know all the statistics. There is actually a book. Mm -hmm. There is a book that was written... Uh, and I don't still have that copy here because mm -hmm. I passed it on to some other people to read. Mm -hmm. But it talked about the sundown cities all across the U.S. Mm -hmm. and how bad it was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Now, um, what you you have grandchildren now that is that are coming up? Do you see them coming up in an integrated society that is uh, uh, much better, not only Socially, but economically and spiritually, 
um, uh, an opportunity-wise, or do you see that we'll continue the whitewash, or do you see we're going in a different direction? I well, religious the religious side. Mm -hmm. I see the black family needs to get back more with the church mm -hmm. because um, the one thing that I saw that integration did to us was that when we moved into the 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 bedroom communities, mm -hmm. all of a sudden our kids get up and they see all the other kids, whether they're they're white or Asian or Indian or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, the other the intermixing here, this melting pot that mm -hmm. we live in now, mm -hmm. a lot don't go to church at all. Mm -hmm. They get up and they go to a golf course, they go to a country club, mm -hmm. tennis courts, mm -hmm. movies, brunches, those things. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh as Anita said, we were raised we went to church, mm -hmm. you know, and on Sundays we'd go and stay all day. Mm -hmm. You know, now there were others that were Catholics, they would go and they knew they would go in, they would stay for an hour and then they would through. And and I guess what I'm saying, I don't care if you're you know if you're Catholic, you're Baptist, CMEs, AMEs, uh, Muslim or whatever, mm -hmm. but you need to have some values within your family. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna just weigh in um and go on a different route than what Booker was talking about. And I look at my grandsons and I look at their friends mm -hmm. and um a lot of difference between when our children mm -hmm. were small mm -hmm. and the friends that they had. Um, we uh, we had our children in private Episcopal schools mm -hmm. and where they uh, felt very comfortable. Well, let's see, it was okay for them to go spend the night with mm -hmm. those their friends. Mm -hmm. It wasn't okay for them to come to our house. Right. So we kind of yeah. cut all that out. Mm -hmm. But these Times and, mm -hmm. and I'm getting on to your question from a standpoint: Do I do we see it better mm -hmm. or not? I don't think that these kids even think about color mm -hmm. these days. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm going to tell you that um, these kids stay all night back and forth. It doesn't matter. But when I go to corporate America, I'm going to tell you what mm -hmm. I see right now. Mm -hmm. My boss, I have two managers, two senior HRMs that I. Mm -hmm report to one mm -hmm. dotted line, one straight. Mm -hmm. Um they're the same age of my children. Mm -hmm. They're young I call them my kids. <laughs> they could care less about what color you are. Mm -hmm. You know what they're looking for? They're looking for somebody. And I'm hoping, I'm mm -hmm. hoping by what I see in them, I'm put I'm banking my heart mm -hmm. on these guys. Mm -hmm. One's a male, one's a female. And I'm all they're looking for is somebody who is capable, mm -hmm. who is committed, mm -hmm. and who wants to do a good job. Mm -hmm. All right? Mm -hmm. And I, I'm i going to tell you that I've been rewarded more so in the last three years than I have in my entire career. Mm. And I think it's because of the mindset, it's a useful mindset, mm -hmm. and I believe that right now, that that you know, given the right mind, you know, given the right conditions, mm -hmm. that maybe it's going to be better for mm -hmm. our kids. Mm -hmm. If we could have more people like these guys that I report to, right, right. I think that we'd be more in the in the path of. Um, of, of being able to 
um, secure, um, I'd say upward bound or let's say high level positions. Mm, okay. Mm. Now, then when I look at at the same point, I'm looking at my affirmative action plan. You know what that mm, is? Yes. And systemically, in some roles, mm. we still, as uh, minority people, whether it be African American, Hispanic, Asian, mm. there are still areas that we haven't been able to break that glass ceiling. Mm. You know, so when you get up into the senior mm-hmm. levels, mm. and when you get in, and especially sales, sales still seems to be, you know, an issue. But still, the higher echelon jobs, we're still having a little bit of problem. But I'm going to say that right now, what I see with my grandsons is they don't look at color. Mm-hmm. If um, mm-hmm. if they like someone, they like them. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with oh, he's a so and so person, or he's a he's a Hispanic person, or he's an Asian person. Mm-hmm. Don't see it. Mm-hmm. Do I'm going to say do, it's getting better. Yeah. Yeah. But do, but is it possible that children start out that way and then society changes them somewhere along the line? Or do you think there's definitely a, a, a difference now? And from, I see two different reactions here. Go ahead. Oh, no. No. Oh, I, th- I think that, well, racism is a, is a learned trait. Right. A prime example is mm-hmm. I was um, at a store one day. Mm-hmm. And uh, the little little boy was in the basket. His mother's pushing him along. The little boy's in the basket, and uh, the little boy said, "Oh, mama, there's one of those colored people." Mm-hmm. That woman could have gone through the floor. Mm-hmm. It's like the Southwest Airlines commercial. Mm-hmm. You need a flight. <laughs> she needed a flight right there. So, you know, but I just I just smiled and I said, "I said, oh, my name is Booker. What's your name?" And the little boy told me his name and uh, mm-hmm. eased it over just like that. Well. He had heard that somewhere, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's how that's how people of color were described to him. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What were you gonna say, Anita? I've forgotten the question. <laughs> <laughs> what I was uh, what what I was asking was whether um, whether the fact that your grandchildren right now they don't see color. Mm-hmm. Whether uh, you see that as really a permanent change, mm-hmm. or whether um, you know they will begin to see color as society pursues mm-hmm. it. Well, you know what, I'm, and I'm going to go back to these two young people that right. I report to. <laughs> right. um, it's going to be a long time, but right now, what I see with these kids, somewhere along the line, and. I don't know, Neville. Um, uh, I would love to say that it's going to change, but I just think that there's still, as Booker said, you know, it's a learned thing. Mm-hmm. And so from generation to generation, um, I'll never forget, do you remember Trace said that we were racist because he was dating um, oh, uh, Asian, a Vietnamese, Vietnamese girl? Yes. Mm-hmm. And he said that we were race, we were racist. Because we told him he had no business dating this girl. And um, that really turned on a light bulb for me. Mm. And I think that was the point where we started saying, we've got to do something different Mm. about how we're 
speaking around our children and Booker, get him out of Neville's bed. <laughs> Jack is all down in your bed. Sorry. <laughs> Let's find something good. That's, I hope, it, hope he tells me what it is. <laughs> anyway, Jack. Tell me what it is, Jack, because. <laughs> If you have anything in there, he will find it. He has my purse like that. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Well, he was all down in the back. Okay, so where I was. I was somewhere about... You were saying uh, that... Um, that it's going to get better. Um, what you were saying that um, you traded, had to be, He told right. us we had to be very, very careful about, you know, how we started to talk about people and the attitudes that we would have. I mean... Obviously, we experienced a lot of things, mm-hmm. you know, a mm-hmm. lot of things um, from being, you know, n- not being able to go into places. We were withheld from jobs and all those kind of things. We want to make sure that our kids understand that mm-hmm. because it can't be lost. The history cannot be lost. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that as long as um, people understand history and demand a level of respect, I think we'll start to see a change. But these kids are marrying, African-American children these days are marrying Asians, they're marrying Hispanics, they're marrying um, Anglo-Saxons, they're marrying everybody. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be, there's, I mean, in 20, 30 years, there's not going to be a true black or white race. Mm. I I think it's going to, Go by the wayside somewhere. Okay, good. I, I really, I hope. <laughs> I hope. You know, I hope in, let's see, 20 years, whoo, boy, that would be a long time down the road. But I look at my dad. Um, I look at my dad, and I look at the changes from my dad's generation. My dad was born in 1914. Mm. And I look at the changes, and I can remember we brought my dad here in. 2001. 2001. Mm. Was that 9-11? Mm-hmm. Yes. That was 9-11 in 2001. Yeah. We brought him in March of 2000 or 2001. And my father was literally, he was the first African-American person at an assisted living facility here in Dallas. Really? Yeah. He was mm. at this particular one, mm. Mm. at this particular facility. And he was concerned, you know, he didn't want to make any waves. He didn't want to do this. He didn't want to do that. And I'm like, well, Daddy, your money spends mm. just like their money. Mm. And we're going to make sure that you're treated with the dignity and respect that you need to be re- be treated. Mm-hmm. From there, I look at his his. Uh, his the way he was raised mm-hmm. and the way we've been raised and now I look at my kids I look at my son's children now mm-hmm. it's like light years difference mm-hmm. it's light years difference between how people were treated mm-hmm. and are treated now mm-hmm. and I honestly in 20 years we're going to have such a mixture of the races <laughs> I just don't see how Racism can exist as it is today. Anita and Booker, I am extremely grateful that you are willing to share 
your experience, your life, and your um, good thoughts and advice with the folks on the journey. Um, uh, everyone on the journey, of course, is very familiar with Anita Marina's voice. She is, of course, our heroine in A Soundbite Life. And those of you who haven't, I hope that you get either a, a copy of the dramatized version or a copy of the digital version. Either okay. one, you have to get one of them. Okay. Fabulous <laughs> book. Thank you, Anita. <laughs> I appreciate that. There is a question that we ask each of our guests, which is based upon what the sage said in A Soundbite Life. The sage said this, Everyone living long enough will slip and fall into a deep hole and look up for help. Three hands will appear. The hand of a hustler, the hand of a riddler, and the hand of a clown. Choose wisely or be buried there. Uh, the question we ask our guests is this, which hand will you choose and why? I would choose the hustler because a hustler will, will fight for what he want or need. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if I choose the hand of the hustler, when I do get out, I'm going to still be hustling. <laughs> I think I'll select the hand of the clown. And the reason that I'm going to select the hand of the clown is because the clown seems to me to be um, a fun, free spirit, um, a, fr a person who takes life um, uh, with a, a smile, um, who's uplifted, and um, is lighthearted. That's why I'm going to take the clown. And look at which one would you choose? I was choosing the clown also because I felt that the clown could dance around on everything that came up mm -hmm. and keep a good spirit about it or a uh, open mind about it, so that he would be able or she would be able to dance around whatever came up in the situation to hold them here. Okay, good, good. So you, Or did you choose the clown because your wife chose no, the clown? I was, was going to actually take the hustler, and then I thought, nah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about the hustler, but then I said, you know. But no, the, I thought the, the clown, because I, seriously, a clown, when you think about what we used to see at the circus or when we see clowns now, mm -hmm. any situation they get put in, mm -hmm. they haven't... Uh, a way of maneuvering around that mm -hmm. in a joyous tone. Mm -hmm. They find a lighter side yeah. and they find a solution mm -hmm. out of what they're doing, but it's on a lighter side and it's uh, it's uplifting. Mm -hmm. And I think the other side of that clown is they don't hurt someone in finding that solution. Mm -hmm. Whereas a hustler mm -hmm. would just as soon hurt this person or hurt something over here in order to get to where they want to be. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And the riddler is always going to maneuver around with a different riddle, but doesn't care what happens to the other people within that riddle. I'm going to pose the same question to you, Ricky. 
Well, I would choose not the above. <laughs> I would choose to be buried there. Oh. <laughs> because you know why? What? As I'm in this deep hole, uh-huh. and the dirt's coming down on me, uh-huh. all I'm going to do is shake it off. <laughs> step up high. And I'll keep shaking it off. <laughs> and step up high. And before you know it, that dirt's going to be at the top, and I'm going to step right out of that hole in the home. I like your answer. I haven't had that answer. That's good. That's good. During part one and part two of the series, you heard clips from the Dark Girls movie. Mr. Marina was thoughtful enough to send those to us, inviting me to share it with you. You can find a link to the Dark Girls movie in the Journeys blog, and that is at matchboxmystery.wordpress.com. Take a moment to click on that link and get the movie and share it with your friends. You will also find several other links associated with our celebration of and reflections on black American history and culture. On the journey, of course, as you know, we travel through three classic books. Those are A Soundbite Life, Flight of the Fused Monkeys, and Illicit, A Time to Begin Again. We hope that you will take the opportunity to grab one of those or all three of those and travel with us as we travel on the journey. At the beginning of this two-part series, I mentioned that I kept this book, which was given to me by my history teacher, and I kept it for a very specific reason. This book is called Narrative of the Life of Frederick Douglass. I also quoted to you from the back cover of this book. It says, Frederick Douglass was born into bondage and sold repeatedly in the slave markets of the South. Because he secretly taught himself to read and write, a crime punishable by death, We possess one of the most eloquent indictments of slavery ever recorded. I kept it not for a remembrance of the indictment of slavery. I kept it because I read these words. Because he secretly taught himself to read and write a crime punishable by death. Because he secretly taught himself to read and write a crime punishable 
by death. I used to read those words over and over again because he secretly taught himself to read and write a crime punishable by death. That criminal gave me life. That kernel of fact holds so much to me. There isn't enough time at this moment to share it all with you. But I can tell you this. It served as a reminder of what my mom always told me. Never make anyone else responsible for your learning. Never make anyone else responsible for your learning. Thank you.